Well, don't you wish, guys, you'd been there. You have to wait till next year now. We'll see you there. Retreat 2018, all right? Those of you who went had a great time. Good morning, everyone. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I want to welcome each of you uh, to First Christian Church again today. Those of you here in the West Auditorium, those in, you in the East, we're very glad you're with us. And I would invite you to take uh, your program and pull this out today, if you will, please, okay? If you didn't get a program when you came in, there are, in the East Auditorium, there are people moving around the room right now to get you one of these. And in the West, there are some in the center aisle, upstairs and downstairs. Those in the center aisle, please pass them along so that we make sure everybody gets one of these in their hand, okay? All right, so what we're doing is we're inviting you to help us take our Easter programming and, if you will, promotions to the next level this year. There's a couple of verses of Scripture that are kind of pushing us in this regard. Colossians 4 says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation... Be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And then in Peter, 1 Peter, it says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for your hope. Do this with gentleness and respect. We're trying to do that in the way in which we are um, approaching Easter this year, saying that we have a hope, namely this, okay? This card would demonstrate that. And uh, we are aware that by the most likely time that people attend church is on Easter. So we'd invite you to kind of step into that opportunity. And uh, straight up, we're planning to tell the story of Jesus plainly and simply on Easter weekend, five services. And um, we're, we make this commitment to you. We will be mindful that you'll be bringing guests with you, and we promise you we won't embarrass you, okay? That's why you've got these. For those who may not know what these are, these are called postcards. You laugh, but in staff meeting this past week, some of our younger folks said, what is that? How do I use that? Honestly. And again, before some of us older folk kind of scoff, may I remind you that we have many generations in this church with many differing um, abilities. For example, those of us who are a little bit older, this probably describes our living room. We have a basket that's got like 16 remotes in it. And we don't know what those remotes do, do we? We have one that operates the TV, one that operates the cable box, one that operates that sound bar thing if you could ever get it to work. We have um, one for the DVD player, and you ha we have one for the Roku player. At least that's what our kids tell us, even if we, we don't know where this Roku player is, and we don't know how to work it. And then besides that, you have about another half dozen remotes that are from, I think one of them is from the microwave. I don't know for sure, but it could be. <laughs> and you wonder how to operate them? How does this work? And so you bring a three-year-old into the room, and within three minutes, that three-year-old has got all those remotes working off one remote, and then the three-year-old puts it back in the basket and go, if I only knew which one she had a moment ago, I could turn the television on. So lest we forget that we live in a different world, this is a postcard. Here's how it works. On the back side is a blank space. And on the left-hand side, you write a note to your friend, and on the right-hand side, you put their address. It's very easy, and it doesn't even take a full stamp. It takes 34 cents to mail this. As a matter of fact, if you know your friend's address today while I'm even preaching, you can fill it out and say, Dear so whatever the name is, come to me, come to Easter services with me, put their address, there'll be baskets in the lobbies of both auditoriums as we leave today, and we'll, we'll put the 34 cents on it for you, or you can take it home and mail it yourself, okay? But the point being, we want to see lots and lots of people here at Easter, and to that end, would you pray with me, please, okay? Lord God in heaven, 
We have friends who don't know you. That's it straight up. And we want them to know of the good hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Give us uh, courage and some sensitivity in how to speak to people about that for the hope that we have to um, have our conversation be seasoned properly and to do it correctly. Give us wisdom and courage, we pray accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. If this isn't the way to go, there are other invite cards in your programs, or maybe it's a straight-up email, whatever the case. You need to invite your friends to Easter, or else this might be you. Take a look at the screens. Um, no. Huh? Well, over to the left. Okay. Need a photographer? Yeah! Sure! Thanks. Thanks. So where'd you guys go off to all dressed up this morning? Oh, uh, church. Easter services. How nice. How nice. What did your pastor preach about this morning at this, uh, church service? I'm sorry? You know, what was the sermon about? Oh. Jesus. Uh-huh. You know, how he, uh, he, con he conquered death, right? Y you know. Uh-huh. I mean, and he, uh, gave us, you know, life? Uh-huh. Abundantly? Huh. Interesting. Very interesting. Hey, you didn't think my wife and I need to hear about that this morning? That wasn't on your radar? No? Say cheese! All right. Bring your friends Easter. We have another version of that next week. You come back and you'll see a second version of the, the, the follow-up, okay? Take your Bible, please, this morning. Matthew chapter 8, this far through the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you don't have one with you, we'll be glad to have you pull one out of the pew rack in front of you here in the west or in the east. There's some people moving around the room. They'll be glad to give it to you. Maybe you've got one on your smartphone, but if you don't own a Bible, take the one home that's there in front of you and as our gift to you, all right? While you're looking for Matthew chapter 8, I want to start with a personal story today. Uh, it goes back a couple of years. Some of you know this story. The week before Easter of 2014, I was lifting something heavy into the back of our truck, our pickup, and I felt this, um, this twinge right, right up here on this left clavicle. And uh, I assumed it was a pulled uh, muscle. You know, you're lifting, and it was a little bit heavy, not a, but a one-man job, and I'm, ow, what's that? You know, you, you've, you've experienced that, right? And so throughout the rest of the day, Monday, oh, man, man. Tuesday, okay, it's getting a little better. Wednesday was kind of, by Wednesday night it was gone. I thought, okay, it's fixed. Friday afternoon, Driving back from a luncheon engagement on Friday afternoon back to the office. Ow! Why is that pulled muscle back? That's odd. You know, if it's going to heal, it's going to get better, and then it's going to be done with. And so I'm sitting in my office, I thought, I, I better call my doctor. Now, Dave Bomberger at the time well, had already closed his practice for, for Christmas. Friday afternoon, the week before Christmas, Christmas on Thursday. And, uh, but I, I called him up and I said, Dave, this thing right here, right? This is, and he's, I'm on the phone. He says, 
where are you right now, Wayne? I said, well, I'm at church. He said, I need to see you in the ER right now. What do you mean? Dave, I don't have time for an ER visit. I mean, Christmas is four days away, and I got to preach six services Christmas Eve. He said, how quickly can you get here? He said, I want to see, I'll meet you. When your doctor says, I'll meet you at the ER, you better go. So about 10, 12 minutes later, I'm sitting on a cot in a, in a room down at the ER at DMH, and, and Dave is looking at me, and he goes, you're not going home. You're spending the night. I don't like this. Honey, it's just pulled. No, as it turned out the next morning, uh, actually, the cardiologist went in to see Leslie as I'm on that the similar cot after having some tests that morning, and she said to him, he said to her, uh, this artery that we have right here, he said, we call that the Widowmaker. It's 99% blocked in Wayne's uh, situation. He needs surgery immediately, to which Leslie tells me that as she sat there and she heard he needs surgery immediately, this Widowmaker is blocked. Uh, she, her immediate thought was, why are you telling me about it? Why aren't you doing it if he needs it immediately? But nonetheless, so by Christmas Eve, a few days later, Wednesday, I was back here having had three stints inserted in that artery. They did it through my wrist, through a large bore IV, which years ago they would have cracked your chest open, but it went up there and down there. And, you know, I guess you could say the heart disease I had and the potential death I faced was pushed back. You could say my artery was healed. But I have some questions about that today. How was I healed? Did God heal me? Did Dave Bumberger and John Waters do that? I mean, or, or, or were the medical doctors, were they solely responsible for my ability to be standing here today? Because there wasn't a good picture moving forward otherwise. I know that Dave would indicate that healing comes from God. Doctors are the educated conduits through which that healing can flow. But that brings to mind then, what about the places in Scripture where Jesus healed all sorts of people without any intervention from the medical community. They had incurable diseases. They died again years later. But why don't we see that kind of healing anymore? Or do we see it? We just don't know to look for it. Or I guess you could... Has God left the healing business? At least unless doctors are involved? Maybe here's the big question. Does God still work in supernatural ways? Particularly when it comes to illness or crises within our bodies. What's with that? Well, let's look at the Bible today. Look at Jesus' understanding of healing. We're looking in the book of Matthew. We've been doing this for a number of weeks. We'll continue to do that. We're making our way through um, just chapter by chapter. So we're going to start really where, where Pastor Brian left us off last week, where he, let, he had us walk our way through the um, Sermon on the Mount. So to set the stage, at the end of chapter 7, we're going to read uh, just leading into chapter 8. Jesus is on a hillside. The, the Lake of Galilee is right in front of him. They're outside a little village called Capernaum. And he's got a whole bunch of people listening to what he says about how they're going to do life in the future under his understanding of spirituality. And in verse 28, we read this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds, notice there are crowds, there's quite a few people. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one, taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds, he's got a big people, lots of people gathering around him. And while that's going on, a man with leprosy, here's a man who has an incurable disease, comes up and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. So one-on-one -on -one case of, is Jesus going to intervene in the leprosy in this guy's life? 
Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Carrying on in verse 5. When Jesus, now they've come down off the hillside, they've, walked, they've made their way past the man who's a leper, and now they're entering into Capernaum. A centurion came to him asking for help. Centurion is different than the leper. The leper was a, a Jewish guy. This man is now a Gentile. Okay, and so Jews and Gentiles aren't really supposed to meet together. But he comes to Jesus saying, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, he goes, and that one, come, he comes. I say to my servant, do this, he does it. When he heard this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed. And it's almost like a remote control zapper or something or other. You know, not only can Jesus start the microwave with it, but can actually heal people, if you will. And his servant was healed at that moment. Verse 14, Jesus came into Peter's house. Now they're in the village, okay, Capernaum. He saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand. The fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. So we've gone from, um, just watch the level of intensity of spirituality here. You've gone from a few, the crowds listening to teaching to one man being healed, then a non-Jewish man being healed. And now, you're, now you've got a bunch of people getting healed. Evening came. When, um, verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits who were the word healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now, lots of people are being healed. To verse 28, okay? Jesus gets in a boat, basically. He goes across the lake. He's getting onto the other side of the lake. And when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs met him. So now we've gone from crowds listening to teaching to somebody getting healed one-on-one, -on -one, to a remote control healing, if you will, to many people getting healed. And now the intensity is really strong because now it's just not healing. Now we're talking about exorcisms, okay? They were so violent, no one would pass that way. Man, don't go down by those tombs because there's crazy people down there. They've got demons and you don't want to go anywhere near them. Verse 28, 29, pardon me. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. This is an exorcism right in front of your eyes. Jesus said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake. They died in the water, and those tending the pigs ran off. Where'd they go? They go into the town. They report all this. Now, this is, in Caper this is not Capernaum now. This is across the lake. They tell everybody what had happened to the demon-possessed man. The whole town comes out to meet Jesus. And you would think when they meet him, it would be, man, this is really cool, right? But what happens? When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Hmm, why? Why? You've got differing people with differing responses, all coming into contact with Jesus' ability to heal or provide some sort of exorcism ministry. Supernatural events. Think about what's going on here. When it was just a case of some nice kind of spirituality where in the Sermon on the Mount you're going to hear that the poor people are going to get their just rewards and it's going to work out all right. Everybody likes that, right? 
But then as the supernatural events in Jesus' ministry begin to develop, the thrill part, the excitement part begins to diminish, or if you will, the intensity goes up. And everyone's not so thrilled after all. In the long run, sure, they, they like the Sermon on the Mount, but this other stuff, I mean, healing a Jewish leper, that's pretty cool. Jesus meets the guy one-on-one, -on -one and the guy gets healed. Lovely. But then his ministry took a turn. The ministry intensity, look at the intensity level on the left-hand side of that screen. You get the... You get the um, the Sermon on the Mount and the, the leper, but then you get this next healing isn't on one-on-one. -on -one. It's actually a non-Jewish fellow, and Jesus doesn't even have to be there. And so now people are beginning to go, man, what kind of power does this guy have? And then you get a lot of people being healed, and then in the ultimate version, if you will, of an encounter with God's power, Jesus performs an exorcism of many demons. And frankly, people start freaking out. It's an intense spirituality. It's God confronting the agents of evil. And they're saying, you know, it was okay if you, when you were just talking nicely about us doing our lives different. But now we're going to really experience God and, we're gonna ex and, and, and you're going to take on evil? That, nobody asked you to do that kind of supernatural work, Jesus. We don't want God meeting us like this. You'd better leave. Why? Well, perhaps they didn't want to really know if God would confront evil. After all, if God was going to confront evil, there would be a presupposition to that, and that would be that there is a devil. Is there truly a personality called Satan? I saw an email, somebody sent me an email about that this week. Two little guys sitting together, third grade, fourth grade, fourth grade kind of doing life and uh, telling each other what's going on. and they, they'd, be, they'd been in church together for years and years and years. And, they, and uh, that week, they'd learned that there was somebody called Satan. And it kind of blown their minds. Uh, and one little guy says to the other, Hey, what do you think about all this Satan stuff? Do you think Satan's real? The little guy just sits there for a while and says, Well, I figured out a few things, I think. You know... You know what we know now about Santa Claus, right? And what we know about the Tooth Fairy. I I'm thinking, your dad is the devil. <laughs> That's not it, friends. Your dad is not the devil. Scripture shows the devil to be a very real evil personality with very real minions called demons, and they are at his control. Now, if you hear me say that, for some you'd say, well, Wayne, do you really believe the Bible in that regard? Isn't that way over the top? Do you really want to go that far? That sort of intense spirituality is too much, isn't it? Our culture doesn't really like intense spirituality. They like mild spirituality. When you ask a person about their faith, they say, well, I'm a spiritual person. And you go, well, what does that mean? For example, you know, on direct line for, the, for all the time we've been on the air, every time there's a, a citywide election, we'll invite all the various candidates to come in and do half an hour with me on the air, and I'll ask them questions. And usually for the last five minutes of that half-hour segment, I'll ask them a question that nobody else in the media asks. I'll say, tell me about your faith experience. And we had a guy on two weeks ago now, three weeks ago, and I said, so... 
describe, this is the way it went. So you're here, and I'm supposed to look at current events through a religious lens. So you are a current event. You are running for city council, and through a religious lens, tell me what's up with your faith experience. And this very kind and nice gentleman, wanting to serve the community, said, well, I'm a spiritual person. And I said, okay, what does that mean? Well, he just repeated more or less, I'm a spiritual person. I, I said, I need a little more. Well, that's all I can tell you. I'm a spiritual person. He couldn't articulate his response any further. His words and understanding were lacking in that regard. And it's kind of like our culture. If you ask, tell me about your faith experience. Well, I'm a spiritual person. I don't want to be too intense with my spirituality. Because if the, the intensity goes up, the moment you ask people about spiritual practices, like worship attendance, people say, well, I'm not really into organized religion. It always cracks me up when people say that. I'm not into organized religion. I'm inclined to ask, so you're like disorganized religion? <laughs> but then the intensity increases even further when people learn that, oh, my, there might even be some expectations if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and say, I'm not just a spiritual person, but I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That means you might need to look at how the Bible says to live versus what you hear in the culture. And the level of intensity of a spirituality goes up. And then once people hear that a Christian's life includes encounter, an encounter time after time with a living God, a directing, governing lordship of God, a leadership approach, then some will quickly say, well, I'm not interested in that. Please stop talking to me about this. You should leave. People have an aversion to that sort of intense kind of spirituality. That business, this business of an, aver an aversion to encountering God is not new. I mean, you, you see it throughout well, you see it in, you know, some three to 4,000 years ago in the way in which the people of Israel um, liked or didn't. I mean, you know the story, perhaps. Moses is leading the nation. They've left Egypt. They've had these dramatic experiences with God. And um, God actually comes down in the form of a cloud, his spirit. They can actually see the Spirit of God, if you will, and with their own ears, they can hear God speaking out of that. They hear the voice of God, and it freaks them out. Because they're going, they basically say to Moses, we can't handle this sort of vulnerability, this sort of transparency, this closeness to God. Hey, Moses, would you get that cloud and take it up on the mountain? You and God meet up there, and after a little while, after you hang out with God, and he tells you everything, then you come down the mountain, and you tell us what he says. The Israelites missed out on God's full work in their individual stories. They settled for the leader to tell them the places where God wanted to be engaged with them. Hmm. Surely there's no one here today who would expect the same of a pastor, would you? You go meet with God and tell us what God says in lieu of an individual and personal encounter with God. So someone like that here today says, that's eh, just too intense for me. You all do it and you tell me. See, here at First Christian, we believe the supernatural events demonstrated by Jesus in his ministry we believe they should be duplicated in our day, straight up. Now, I need to tell you that even as I say that, there are some fine Christian brothers and sisters, dedicated people who follow Jesus, who wouldn't agree with us. They would say that miracles and these kind of supernatural events with demons and everything, they would say they ceased at the end of the apostolic age. 
That is, that when all of Jesus' original followers died, that that was the end of the apostolic age, more or less, and these sorts of miracles stopped occurring. There are people who follow Jesus who take that position. We don't. We wouldn't agree with them. We believe we should have encounters with our divine, powerful, omniscient God, the God of the universe. We believe miracles can still, can still take place apart from any human-made catalyst. I believe that we will also encounter evil in the form of demonic events and activities, and then we will overcome that evil through the power of Jesus' name. Now, is that kind of thinking intense? Absolutely. It's so intense that some would say, Wayne, you should leave that sort of thinking alone. Don't preach about that. Just tell us how to live nicely like Jesus would have us live. We're not really too worried or interested in an encounter with God in that way. But if I didn't think that way, then what's the purpose of prayer? I'm praying for specific needs. Because I believe that when we pray, heaven responds. That's my full understanding. We pray, heaven responds. What I, there are some things I don't understand. What I don't understand is this. Why doesn't heaven always respond with my playbook? I mean, I, I have a certain way that this has to play out, but heaven doesn't always do that. Like you, I've had friends, family members, people of this church, people of this church who've had cancer or some other debilitating, life-threatening disease. I've prayed and waited, prayed some more, prayed some more, and then in the course of time, far too quickly, led the congregation and a family through a funeral. I've done that. I have a mother-in-law right now suffering horribly. She has darkness in her brain. Her mind is full of the obscurity of Alzheimer's disease. Why? That's not my playbook. Those sorts of questions are legitimate. And I don't like it sometimes. Sometimes when the answers are from heaven, God's ways are better than your ways. Or God saying, my understanding goes further than yours. I, I strive to be a man of faith. I strive to accept and to believe. I mean, because I'm aware that a component of faith is trusting. Even when you can't see all the answers to every question. I want to be like Job. Well, I think, I don't know if I want to be like Job, but I'm trying to be like Job. I don't want to be like Job because Job really had it bad. He had it really bad. He had boils and he was sick and he lost a lot. And, but I'd like to be like Job when, I, so I'm not looking for the boils, but I am looking to be like Job. He said, yet God slay me, yet I will trust him. I'd like to be there. You know, our, our church and our staff right now are in a season of prayer. The staff are gathering on Wednesdays uh, just before noon. We're praying for you. Praying that miracles will be found in your life soon. Miracles will take place in the life of this church soon. And I'm waiting for that to happen. I mean, we've got some great stories. Larry, the guy who's playing piano here in the, in the West Auditorium today. Significant cancer a number of years ago. Bone marrow transplant and the whole bit. And yet today he's completely healed and he doesn't take any medicine, not even, uh, not even rejection drugs or anything. Completely as if it had never occurred. Isn't that praise the Lord? I'm looking more for those kinds of things, okay? But, here's the, here, but sometimes I have to wait in situations that I go, what's with that? Here's, I, here's my playbook, God. And so in the midst of waiting, can I give him some responses? Well, we wait for a supernatural intervention from God. How can we manage this? I want to encourage you, first of all, to see the big picture. Look at the big picture of our lives. 
as we wait for a supernatural intervention from God. You're like me. One day you get out of the shower and you rub your leg with a towel and you go, well, what's that? And there's a little lump there or somewhere else and you go, well, that might be an ingrown hair, I guess, or, well, I hope it doesn't grow because then it might be a medical situation that I've got to talk to the doctor. What's with that? Or, <laughs> in our family this week, we had a number of people, not me, but others, who had the stomach flu. And when I've had the stomach flu, you've been there, right? And you're holding on to the great white throne and you're talking to it with groans that words can't express, okay? And in the midst of that, you, you, don't you have the questions? You, you must have, oh, is this a disease that's going to lead to death? Because I wish I could die right now. You've done that, right? But here's what I try to remind myself. In those moments, I'm teaching myself to do that. That even as I'm hanging on for dear life, I have to tell myself, Wayne, the big picture is this. Even if this were to be a disease that leads to death, even if this is a lump that leads to all kinds of complications, I know this. I've seen these situations before. I've come through them. And even if I don't come through it, it's not all bad. No, because I'm a follower of Jesus. All this settled between me and God in regards to sin, eternity, and heaven. Jesus took care of it on the cross. I land there. And in light of that, here's some good counsel, friends. Get your soul right with God. Because you've heard stories along the way, or maybe you've, you know, in your friends or family, and there's been some medical evaluation or test, and the doctor says, it's time to get your affairs in order. I've been there when people have literally come from the doctor's office straight to my office. I want, I, when it comes to me, I want to have my affairs in the right place. I want them to be in order. My finances, my kind of life story, and my relationships and everything. I want them to be in order for the future here on earth. However, above all, I want my affairs to be right with God. I want your affairs to be right with God. And that means you choose to accept Jesus' work on your behalf on the cross. Friend, get it all settled in regards to sin and eternity in heaven. And then if a cure does or does not come, or a miracle or whatever, nothing is lost. Your eternity is settled. In other words, live as if you're going to see a hundred. But be prepared to meet Jesus in 30 minutes. And if you've got that in play, if that's where you say, I'm planning to live to be a hundred, but if it doesn't happen, it's all settled. Then in the midst of that, you know what you do? You pray earnestly every day. You pray in faith for full good health. For all sorts of miracles to come your way. So that if there is a Friday afternoon when you got this pain right here and you go, it's just a pulled muscle and it doesn't turn out to be that, there's nothing to fear. I'll, you know, I'll take the healing however it comes. And I'm, I'm not being flippant. I'm not being flippant because I know this is where we live and this is where it's really hard. And I know that what I'm chatting about today doesn't count, account fully for our desires for supernatural miracles. But you know what faith does? Faith says we allow God to be in charge and we see God in charge. And that's an important dynamic of Christian living. We allow God to leave, we choose to follow because... We know the outcome of the, of the end game. See, the Bible acknowledges there's all sorts of struggle in life. There's pain and struggle and disease in the lives of all people. 
But the Bible also accounts for a day, a day coming, when that pain and the tears it produces will be gone. As a matter of fact, I'd like you to read a passage of scripture to me that, where the Apostle John describes what that day is like. Read from the screens with me today, please. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Okay, so look at the next verse and see what's going to be gone in this day in the future. Read with me. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. These words are trustworthy and true. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. That's the end game, friends. That's the end game. So, to seal this, I have an exercise for us today for the entire congregation in both rooms. All right? Here's the exercise. Maybe you know someone in need of a miracle today. Something in regards to just physically it's not going right. Or maybe you need a miracle. Now, this isn't going to apply to everybody because so, we're saying these, these are situations where, man, God's got to intervene. But if, if that's the case, I want all of us to pray for you to have or your friend to have a supernatural encounter with God. Now, and, and, and to make it a little more personal yet not overwhelmingly public, uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask for, if it's you or a friend or somebody, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are right now. Stand for yourself or in someone else's place. And then, if you're sitting close to that person as we pray, and if it's appropriately comfortable, don't be, don't be weird, okay? Don't be weird. No weirdness allowed today, all right? I know we're all weird, but you're not going to be weird today, all right? If that involves, if somebody close, close to you is standing up, then will you grab their hand or in some way, maybe just put your hand on their shoulder and join with me in prayer. So, in the East Auditorium, in the West Auditorium, if you're here today and you say, man, I got a situation where I need God to intervene, or a friend does, would you stand please right now? There'll be hundreds of people throughout, throughout the weekend, for sure. We've seen, I mean, it's quite incredible. And so now if somebody is standing close to you, Grab a hold of them. Again, not in some strange, weird way, but just in a quiet, appropriate way. And let me pray together. Let's pray together. Lord, we have people standing in both rooms right now. People, Lord, who um, they may have never said to anyone else what, what the deal is. What the doctor has said about them or a friend or the situation involving a, a crisis that uh, can't be fixed through human means. That, Lord, it's a, play, it's a situation where you're going to need to intervene. God, we pray for a miracle right now in Jesus' name. An absolute miracle that we will, in the days ahead, look back and say, you know, that event in April of 2017, that was the turning point. That, that, that morning when, when, when people prayed with me and for me, Lord, we're looking back to say those were, that was the point when things turned around and where God... If Jesus was able to heal a non-Jewish person by just saying the word, then in the name of Jesus Christ, we say the word, be healed in Jesus' name. Fully, completely done. We are your children. You're a good, good father. We rely on that. We're not presuming anything, God. We're not demanding. We are simply asking, God, 
for an encounter with you in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.